Today's episode of the Rough Drafts Podcast is brought to you by the newly updated sportsbook at Unicorn.com. Unicorn has been a sponsor since the beginning, and this is honestly the best looking and most convenient the site has ever really been. Their new TV guide style layout has made finding and betting a breeze. And with a newly designed and intuitive bet slip, all the information and even access to multi-bets are at your fingertips. I've already gotten started with my LPL and LCK outrights, and even though it's only been a day into the regular season, KT has already let me down, but Unicorn won't. So check out Unicorn.com, the world's premier esports betting site. My name is Walter Cedis Fedchuk, and welcome to week four of our 2017 Summer Split EU LCS Guess the Lines podcast with no lines. Because Unicorn doesn't have them updated yet, but that's fine. We're going to give the people what they want. We're just going to do the same thing as last week. We're going to go through all the games. We're just going to talk a little bit more about the teams uh, and have a Just the Lines episode a little later on in the week. It's, it's probably going to be the same, you know, probably Wednesday afternoon, early Thursday morning for our European listeners. But of course, since we're talking about Europe, I do need to bring in my good friend, co-host and the Rough Drafts European LCS expert, Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. Chase, how are you doing on this wonderful, wonderful morning? Well, you know what? You know, the lines might not be ready, but I am ready to talk about this week because this was a, a week in which, for I think the first time this entire year, we saw three upsets in Europe in the same week. And these were not like little upsets where it's like, oh yeah, Unicorns of Love beat H2K and they were kind of even, but technically Unicorns of Love were the underdogs. No, these were upsets. These were teams that we did not think were going to be able to pull off victories, pulling off victories. These were teams we expected to do quite well after everything we'd seen, not quite getting there. And I, I think the way those series broke down, I, I think is going to be something that will have long-term consequences. It's very easy for people to say, oh, well, it's just one series and you know it was kind of weird week, so we can write this off. No, I'm not writing this off. I'm going to look through this and kind of talk about what will probably figure itself out and what's likely to be a sign for the future because I think uh, a couple teams made some statements that I'm really looking forward to seeing them build on. That is uh, absolutely a fair statement. And since you're looking forward to watching some of these teams build upon their Week 3 success, who is your up for the week? Uh, my up for this week are teams I gave up on on the last episode of this podcast. There were two teams that I wrote off. I'm like, I'm done. I give up. I was wrong. I accept this about myself. Uh, the first one was Misfits. I was ready to throw in the towel on Misfits. I was ready to admit that putting them at second place was way too optimistic because I thought that they could not do uh, the three prongs formula that I thought was going to be their path for success because it required Ignar to be on point and he had looked bad up until that point. It required uh, Alfari to really develop into a top-tier team fighter as well as a lane bully, and it required Daku to put the team in a place to succeed with his drafts, where I felt they were lacking. And this week they did all three of those things, and they did it against the three-time defending champs. That's huge. Uh, that tells me that they have the ability to 
at the very least, uh, do it with uh, a couple of their champions. Ignar looks much better when he has a champion with a hook skill shot. Uh, that's something that I think we noticed this week. He was much more consistent than he'd been. Alfari, I, I still haven't seen him be the, the team fighter that I'd like him to be on anything other than Renekton. But now we have a champion where we've seen him do it. He did land his stuns in team fights. He was the initiator. He did fulfill that role I was looking for him. And when those two things are on point, it gives Power of Evil, who in my opinion is the best mid laner in Europe right now, and, and Han Sama, who, man, his Zaya game in Game 3 was super fun to watch. Uh, I, I just love seeing it's, what Misfits it's did It's amazing what happens when you give him a champion that requires some actual mechanical skill to carry a game. Like, he's actually really good at yeah. playing AD carry in League of Legends. Who, who would have thought? Who knew? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, if only someone had been saying this since week three of last split. That someone could have pointed out preseason last pre split. We, <laughs> Calling yeah. him the next forgiven. Let's. That's true. Let I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk that one up as a win for me. And since yeah. we aren't guessing the lines, that means I win the week, and it's now four uh, and four oh, on is, the is year. Is that how that goes? Yes, that's how that goes because I'm the one running the scoreboard. I uh, really should have read the fine print. <laughs> that's what I'm learning here. Uh, that being said, um, my up for the week is actually the fans because we're getting kickass back in the LCS. And that is a Christmas miracle, if there ever was a Christmas miracle. Uh, the news coming out today uh, that Mysterious Monkeys will be replacing Jisoo uh, and, uh, and Llama Bear uh, with Amazing and Kickus. And the amazing part, okay, we'll see. Uh, he's probably not the worst jungler in Europe at this point. Um, but Kickus in the LCS just it makes me feel funny inside because i love watching this guy play and i can't wait for some top lane ap shako because kickus is amazing and kickus does weird stuff and coming into this he could compete for being one of the top three top laners in europe i think straight off of the bat and give the mysterious monkeys another threat because jisoo wasn't a threat koskyu surely isn't a threat and, uh, you know, there's only so much Yuki can do. So this will be interesting. I am slightly worried about Dreams. Um, again, like my same worry with Ignar. You take away his, his, his buddy, his friend, the Korean aspect of it. In Berlin, where we've already had people talk about troubles, getting used to European food, climate, culture, etc., etc. Still have those same worries about him. Um, but I does, do think this does shore up a weak point on Mysterious Monkeys that can hopefully... You know, I don't think they're making the playoffs or anything with this roster, but should solidify them and get them prepared for playing in the relegation tournament and potentially take a series off of someone as we get into the inter-group play. Or, and I want to point this out because I agree with everything you just said, but I'm even willing to go a step further. I think Kikus does the one thing that they're really lacking, which is he actually understands macro play. Like, you know, say what you will about you know, whether he's he is a great leader. Certainly we've seen times in his career where he hasn't wanted to step up into that role, has gotten frustrated in situations he's been in. But the guy has a deep understanding of the game. And the thing that has hurt the monkeys the most so far, they have a very nice early game, actually. Their mechanics can, can hold up, especially uh, Llama Bear had shown some promise with that this week. But they didn't know how to convert that into any meaningful objective. Kikis knows how to convert those things to meaningful objectives. If they sit back and listen to him, this is a team that I think 
they could fight their way out of relegation. They could be better than Vitality. Vitality is not a team that was so overpowering that I think that uh, having that weapon could not close that gap. This is huge for Mysterious Monkeys. And I just, I mean, I have been asking for Kickus to, to come back into the LCS for a while. I did my happy dance already. I will do it again. I, so, I am, I am so, so glad this Counterpoint. Okay. Koskyu is garbage tier. I, yeah. So, like, elements tier, ha ha ha, we're not going to mention them in power rankings because they're that bad. It's a concern. It's a concern, and I understand that. But the hope that's, is that... I'd say it's a big concern. <laughs> if you draw so much attention to your side lanes, because both of them are good, Koski would be able to play with no pressure on him, and his Talia was below average rather than bad. It's not a great argument. I understand that. But we have seen teams get... do less... With, you know, when you consider, you know, what vitality as their competition is going to be. It's not like Joko had a great week. It's not like Steelback is, is looking all that awesome right now. Like, they're, you can get by with one bad player. Echo, Echo Fox would like to say no. Echo Fox would like to prove that is a false statement. You're not wrong. Let's, yeah, let's, let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, so obviously, we're not going to beat up more on Koski and Mysterious Monkeys, but Chase... What was your down uh, for week three of the European LCS? You know, I, I honestly, I had a hard time picking it down because most of the teams that lost this week, I, I thought that, you know, it was, it was about what the team that won did more than it was about the, the top teams faltering. It was more teams kind of closing the gap in, in my mind. Um, but Fnatic... We got we got to talk, man. I was really excited about you guys uh, the way you were playing the split. I felt like there was a consistency that you guys were bringing that I was not expecting from the split. And then you made the worst throw that I have seen in a long time. I mean, you guys were ahead over ten thousand gold after Rocket had already had stolen this Baron which you then had two more Barons stolen away from you in Game 3. And the only way that you were going to lose in Game 2 was if Rockout was able to rush down the mid lane, take a tower before you guys were back, push through the inhibitor and seal the game. And so, for whatever reason, your answer to this was, oh, but I'm sure they won't realize this and then went and split-pushed in the top lane, sent two guys to the bot lane to go beat up Faxi. And you got juked. You got you beat out of your shoes. You were out of position. It was a huge error. Your vision wasn't there. I, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, is it just a disrespect? Did you just not believe that Rockout was smart enough to do it? Was it an inability to recognize your loss condition? Was it? Did you not understand that your mid-tower had been pushed in so much that they could quickly seal it, especially with how late we were in the game and, and the composition that Rockat had? I don't know what the answer is, but there's no answer that is Fnatic had the cohesive macro play that we expect a team that just took out G2 last week to have. That's, to me, a, a big concern uh, moving forward. I, I think that it was uh, evidence of a flaw within the Fnatic system that even while they're ahead, 
they weren't able to do the things that you need a team to do to close a team out. The longer you let these games go on, the more time you let enemy teams come up with a way to beat you. That's going to affect you when you play against the best teams. And you know what? You beat G2 in week two, and that's this does not take that away. But G2, I, I am assuming, is going to start ramping themselves back up, is going to start looking like the champs that they were. And, and you guys right now put uh, your flaws on display as we're about to enter intergroup play. We'll see if you guys, you know, I, I think teams are going to try to capitalize on it. And you guys are going to have to do significantly better in your shot calling if you don't want to suffer uh, much worse than the kind of loss that you had this week, which was, and let me remind you, a historically bad 10K gold plus throw. Um, that's that's just, you you won while, ahead, you lost, I should say, ahead it's like 7,000 gold. That's that's absurd. How come on, stop it. And I said that as a rock at fan. Like I'm really glad as a fan that you screwed that up. But come on now, stop it. That's not how this should work. I can say something really, really, really mean here, uh, but I'm not going to. I'm going to refrain from it because Chase already knows what I was going to say. Uh, my my down for the week is consistency at the top of the standings, which that could be a good thing or a bad thing. Like, yeah, it's really boring when all the best teams are just constantly stopping everyone and, and constantly in the same finals, and it's always the same team, unless you're a TSM fan where it's absolutely wonderful and you're totally okay with it. But over in Europe, we did have two weeks where they're like, yep, the best teams are the best. Unicorns love G2. They're on top. Fnatic is so, you know slowly starting to insert themselves into that picture and then all three kind of fell apart and and muddled everything back up um i think out of the three teams if i was to rank them like most likely to you know turn it around i, I would put unicorns of love at the top not because i'm trying to like ride the rainbow and keep the magic i just think that unicorns of love lost because their singular play style is we are going to fight we are going to fight for every scrap of ground. We are going to fight for every minion. We're going to fight for every objective. We're going to fight for every kill, tower, etc., etc., etc. And when they fall behind, when they continue to lose team fights, they just compound their their mistake. They compound all of these losses. When you're down a thousand gold and then you lose a team fight, now you're down, you know, eighteen hundred gold, and then you lose another one after that, and you lose. Now you're down twenty two hundred. And where most people would be like, okay, well, just fix your mistakes. Like, be more passive. Stop fighting. Unicorns of Love, it's not can't do that, it's they shouldn't do that. Because they are very, very good at team fighting. They are very good in the super skirmish-heavy style of play. And it's shown, you know, through multiple splits here that that is how they want to play. That is Sheepy's style. That is the Unicorns of Love style. And at the end of the day, the last thing I want them to do is sort of go, well, this isn't working anymore, let's do something different. Like, I want them to fine-tune and hone this style as you've already talked about, Fnatic, et cetera, et cetera, I'll focus on G2 here because G2 is just it's just awkward to me. It just yeah. seems like they can, are continuing to go full bore into this. The, or the first 20 minutes don't matter. So let's just keep playing for 35 minutes when that's not quite where the meta is. I like, mean, I don't know if I agree with that because the game that they won, they won in 24 minutes. They were very quick in that right, game. Right, but the problem is, like, the, the consistently, that, they're not playing for the early game. Like, they well, got they, a lead, and they, you know, they went out and they snapped. 
they kept pushing into the enemy jungle to get deep vision when they weren't ready yet. I, I had the opposite problem. I felt like they were forcing things. I felt like they were so desperate to get that vision in and forget they ended up fighting in these choke points in which they ended up falling really behind. This was like the 15 to 20 minute mark was when we saw this happening. They were they were really trying to, to get in there and you'd see these like two man, you know, uh, moves or even just a single man going in there and Trick would get himself killed or Mithy would fall down or, you know, they, they just would kind of funnel in one by one and they'd get picked off one by one at a time. I I think their, their passiveness was well, not the problem. Misfits, well, did, they, they didn't just sit back and wait for Misfits to beat them. They went in to fights where Misfits were just like, oh, you're out of position, bam, and just slid everything well, at them. So, so this is my point, is that G2 feel very Jekyll and Hyde, where it goes, it does go game to game, series to series. The Weldon Theory versus the more, like, early G2, like the very first split that they were in the LCS, where it was this super aggro, constant invading, etc., etc., and... They've been at their best where they just pick a style, and that's the style they play all split. You know, we joked last split, like, oh, yeah, you know, well, then only 30 minutes matters, blah, blah, blah. But, like, they were that from game one of the split. This is our style. This is how we're going to play the game. And we're going to force everyone else to play our style. And this split, they don't have this very defined, very cohesive style that they're forcing everyone against them to play, uh, which is why I think this week's matchup against Unicorns of Love is very very interesting but before we get to that one we have a couple more matchups here in week four starting with misfits versus vitality now chase misfits had a very uh, a, a very good victory over g2 vitality had a strong showing against the mysterious monkeys and then completely fell flat against h2k what were your thoughts on vitality coming out of this past weekend See, you say strong victory over uh, Mysterious Monkeys. I say uh, Nuke Duck solo carrying in one of these games because the rest of his teammates were not doing anything to really help them in a significant fashion. And, you know, really taking advantage of the fact that Cabochard and Nuke Duck were individually better players than uh, Jisoo and Koskyu. Uh, as a coherent team, they looked not very good. Uh, especially against H2K, but uh, even in, in their series against the Monkeys, Joko got caught out of position in, in weird decisions because ganks in which he shouldn't have been there, uh, there were uh, decisions that I, I think he, where the positioning and the pathing really made sense. Uh, I thought that Vander is not necessarily the guy that I, I was hoping he would be. It feels like he's kind of a, a step removed. I think the fact that he's kind of forced into laning a little bit longer than he's comfortable with means that by the time he's getting out of that part of the game, he's trying to force plays to kind of make up for that lost time. And I feel like that is that is hurting them, um, especially a game two where obviously he was on that Galio pick. And I don't really like the Galio support pick all that much anyway, but I did not think that worked out for him. I think Nuke Duck, when he's on LeBlanc, has looked great. Um, he's had a couple champions in which he's looked surprisingly solid, but that rise was not good. And when he ulted into uh, H2K, like in the middle of the team by himself at the 23 minute mark, has to be one of the best fail plays of, of the week. I, I think that was just a mental error. And Steelback just isn't, he got outmatched by Nuclear hard. I mean, Nuclear destroyed him 
uh, especially in that Ash game. So, I mean, overall, like, do I do I think the Vitality had a, a strong showing against Mysterious Monkeys? I mean, kinda. They looked like the sloppiest team that's been Mysterious Monkeys so far. It wasn't a, a particularly strong performance to me. I didn't find anything about it to be like, oh man, they had this great macro game that allowed them to just crush this bad team. They played a bad team, and it took them a while to get those closing victories. Um, and I think against H2K, it was, uh, you know, exposed just how just how weak this team is compared to actually good teams. They're not going anywhere. Uh, they're going to now be battling with mysterious monkeys to avoid relegation. And I think that it's going to be a lot of fun to see misfits continue to try to build this new identity for themselves um, when they uh, when they match up head-to-head -head here. Because this should be a pretty easy win for misfits. This, this should be a pretty solid victory for Misfits just coming across the board. What what do you want to see for Misfits? I know I know you're saying you know creating this new identity. So what is it that you want to see uh, against a much weaker team than G2 and Vitality? Like what would be the perfect scenario coming out of this week for for Misfits? Well, the perfect scenario involves two players really showing up. Um, number 1, Ignar has to continue to show up preferably on something other than Thresh and Blitzcrank. Uh, it's great that he's very good at those picks. I, I don't want to minimize the impact they can have on them, but I am concerned when the meta shifts away from some of those champions or if they start getting banned out against him. You know, we saw, like, his Tom Kench is starting to fall off a little bit in terms of its positioning. Uh, we, you know, some of the champions that we've associated him with in the past have not been as good in recent weeks. I want him to get back to that kind of form. I want to see that he can do it on multiple different champions so I don't have to worry about, you know, in a big series whether he can just easily be banned out and then suddenly we have the Ignar that we saw in the first two weeks of the split that was struggling to make the plays because he is their biggest playmaker. He is the guy that initiates a lot of these fights and they need him to be that guy. Um, I also think that I want to see Maxor continue to improve. I think every week his pathing has gotten a little better. It seems like he's starting to understand better what the team wants him to do. Now, you can argue over how effective he is at that. I, I think that certainly there are things you can point to and say, you know, is he as good as Kakao was at this point in the season in, ter you know, in terms of those kind of mechanical advantages? I'm not sure. I'm actually inclined to say probably. I think he's his lease in, in particular, I think, has been quite solid. Um, he hasn't been the big playmaker, but neither was Kakao. People forget that Kakao's strength was in the number of assists he was getting, not in the kills. He wasn't this kill-crazy guy. He was the one that set the, you know, the power of evil in particular up for success, and that's the same thing that's happening here. So I'm, I'm pretty confident in that regard that Maxor can fill that role. I want to see him do it on something other than Lee Sin. I think Lee Sin is a comfort pick for him. I think that's something that he will continue to uh, you know, look solid on, but I want him to be able to do it on multiple different champions, the way that Kakao was able to do it on multiple different champions. So those are the two things I think I'm looking for uh, against an opponent like this. There should not be problems for them to accomplish that they are going to be a serious threat for a top-tier playoff spot. Uh, so, so they should be able to take care of those things, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing... Um, you know, seeing how they're able to execute that. And just because I saw that look when I mentioned that Kakao was not a kill guy, he was the supportive jungler. And he was uh, a Kakao's, playmaker, yeah. Kakao's stats were 85, 56, 205. Way more on the assist-heavy side of things uh, and, and kind of uh, going on that end. 
And if you yeah, compare but that, that still doesn't diminish his role as a playmaker. Like getting no, assists yeah, as opposed to but, kills still means he's a playmaker. He's just if you letting look his at carries what get Max Lore is doing right now, mm-hmm. he's got about the same ratio of kills to assists: 18, 21, 68, a 4.1 KDA. Uh, the kill participations are basically the same. That's what I mean by saying he's fulfilling the same role. He is doing the things on the exact that same champion Kakao that Kakao was doing. Yes, this is correct. Yeah. So, yeah. so he's he is that guy. I, I think that people there is an instinct that's going to say like, oh, but Kakao had some of these flasher plays because he had that really great Ivern game that I think really stood out in the early game. We haven't seen a game like that from Maxwell yeah, yet. Yeah, week, week four but, is really where Kakao started to turn it on last split. That's where we saw this spike in you know weeks four and five where Kakao was going a little kill crazy, but it really was playmaking. It was a lot of insect kicks. It was a lot of setting up plays and setting up his side laners and setting up his mid laner to do all these things. That's just why I gave you the look. Like, you can be a playmaker without taking the kill. You can yeah, yeah, constantly yeah. set up your, your teammates and give them the gold, and I, I don't disagree with anything that you're saying about Maxlor. The difference is, is that towards the end of the split, Kakao kind of fell off because he became very predictable, his pathing became very predictable. And that is one thing with Maxlore that we need to, you know, wait and see and see if he does become predictable, see if opposing junglers start to read him very well. Absolutely. Um, which I, I don't think at any of his previous stops that's necessarily been the case, that he became super predictable. But he did kind of, like, hit a point in the season, and that was kind of where he plateaued for the rest of the season. And then the next year he, you know, about the midway mark, he hit another, you know, kind of, peak and then that's when he plateaued again and then you know sort of this this step which is fine for a young player yeah i'm just not sure that's enough for a team like misfits that are trying to contend for a title so i I want to see a steeper increase in i think just to to close this up and really bounce off of what you just said i think the reason that we've seen him plateau is because he has actually had some predictability issues because the one thing that he does better than than a lot of other junglers in europe is he gets his mid laner ahead that's where he's excelled. He's excelled at setting up Knight when he was playing on Giants. He excelled at the second half of Rockat split. He set Betsy up, which allowed other things to happen around the map. So I want to see, I would love to see him work on getting a guy like Alfari ahead or work on getting Hansama ahead, showing that he could do it, what he does in the mid lane in the side lanes at well. That would be the next step in evolution for him. Uh, I think that would really do a lot in order to mix up that predictability, as you pointed out. So that's what we're going to see. And against Vitality, you should have the freedom to try these things because I don't think Vitality is a team that can can match what Misfits is able to do on a macro or in many ways a micro level. That is right. fair. Uh, moving on to Fnatic versus H2K. Chase, earlier you said Power of Evil is the best mid laner in Europe. Yeah. Fabivan would like a word with you, sir. Fabivan can you learn how to use his Oriana old in game one. Let's talk about that. There were about five or six different team fights in which he didn't use it because whatever reason, I guess he was saving it for a rainy day. He wanted to make sure that he could return the Oriana ball at the end of the game and get his full uh, full security deposit back from whichever person he rented that Oriana from in that game. It was really surprising um, just how underwhelming uh, that, that he was in some of these fights because of that. Uh, he, I think literally I counted, I only saw him use it once in a team fight. Uh, most of the other team fights, he held on to it and just felt like he didn't need to use it, which, you know what, to be fair, they didn't need to use it. They were playing against Vitality, and they absolutely destroyed Vitality. Um, I think that it's very clear who the better team here was. I think, you know, we had our typical series of Game 1, Yankos is kind of slower to get going, but Game 2, he turns it on. He had that 7-1-4 Kha'Zix game because 
Yankos is really good at League of Legends. I, I continue to think that Nuclear is very good at League of Legends. I thought the desire was good. The numbers aren't going to necessarily represent just how impactful that was in the laning phase uh, and, and how good that he has become as, as, a, as an AD carry. And his Ash game in Game 2 was glorious. Um, you know, and Oduamne is still one of my f favorite split pushers to watch because he's so damn consistent. He has very good to great games every game. Never necessarily the, oh my god, this is the best top laner in Europe game. But, I mean, his Shen ultimates were on point this game. Uh, his teleports, his ability to roam around the map, uh, he really took it to Cabochard. Uh, you saw it his Fiora game. Uh, you know, ne didn't necessarily do as much early against the Renekton, but when he turned on, he was a monster. And he did that without having the kind of goal that teams usually throw at a Fiora comp. So, all in all, I, I really like this H2K team as a whole. I don't think that this was the strongest series that they've ever had. Game one in particular, I think there were uh, some very clear overextending mistakes uh, where they just allowed themselves to be caught out, especially by Nuke Duck. Uh, kind of didn't have the vision to see when he was leaving lane and then being able to cut off some of their, uh, their gank patterns uh, and kind of punish them more than they got out of it. But, I mean, H2K is a really good team. Uh, the machine is still in place. Every piece of this team individually is still very strong. And the thing about this matchup now is I'm not sure how Fnatic bounces off of them right now. If Fnatic can make those kind of mistakes in the macro game, if they can leave those openings, well, we know H2K are good enough that the system will kind of chug along. The machine is going to have them in a place where they will be able to take team fights and be able to fight in, in pretty solid play, Fnatic can't make mistakes that you would that, that could be capitalized on so easily. See, I, I think they need to be I need to be finer tuned than that. See, I, I disagree with this because that's where H2K have their problems, is in the macro game, is in the mid to late game. That is where they run into issues. That is always where the machine stalls out. And right. we aren't seeing teams ban cannon. We aren't seeing teams take you know, reckless off of these super playmaking champions. Like, I think H2K's, you know, path to victory is Oduwamne goes split push. I, I absolutely think that is. Let, you know, let Soaz play a tank, whether it's, you know, Gragas, probably not Shen, but let him play something like that and, and go with a Fiora, go with a Camille, go with a Renekton, and just try to bully Soaz and make this about the split push, not about the team fight, not about the macro decision. It shouldn't be as brain dead as... You know, we're going to stand over in this corner. We're going to let Oduwame do all the work in this corner and take a tower. And then we're going to swap sides. I don't think H2K wants to get in this heavy macro rotational team fighting play with a team that is as good as it as Fnatic. I know we look back at last week and we go, oh, you know, Fnatic, they stumbled here. They couldn't figure out how to close that game too. But as I've said before, and plenty of people have said before, at some point, gold leads don't matter. And it does just become one team fight. And that's what I thought that game two eventually turned into was it was one team fight. Rocket was able to turn around, take a whole bunch, and they were able to end the game. I don't think it was necessarily Fnatic making all these compounding mistakes that let Rocket slowly come back into the game. It was a snap team fight. They're off the map for that long. Rocket just turned around the snowball. And I I mean, I'm gonna staunchly disagree with you on that. There were many fine. there were several skirmishes before that ultimate getting wiped. 
uh, you know, the fact that they Rocket were even able to rush down the Baron in the first place because Fnatic was out of position. The fight before that fight where it had been in the top lane and Rocket was able to get away with a three-for-one skirmish uh, that made absolutely no sense at the time that Fnatic had taken that fight on Rocket's territory. When they set up the fight in the river where they had everyone hiding out in the bush and they had that cohesive engage with Faxi actually hitting his Jarvanult for once. Like, there were several different ways in which Fnatic made mistakes. And, and to kind of come to your point, I, when I talk about I'm not sure about how Fnatic is going to handle the macro game, I'm not saying, oh, yeah, H2K are this perfect macro team that are going to take advantage of it. What I'm saying is the whole reason that I loved Fnatic in this matchup is because they do have the superior macro game. When they are at their best, they can play around the map very deadly. They can have Soaz split push very well. His globals are on point. Uh, you can have Caps. He's so good at flanking. He's so good at kind of dictating where these fights are supposed to be, that's how they're better than H2K. If they're making those mistakes, if their macro isn't the game that it, isn't what's deciding the game and determining the pace of it, if there are holes in their strategy, well, then the machine will be allowed to run its course. That's what they cannot afford. It's not going to be H2K is going to come up with this amazing rotational strategy that catches Fnatic off guard. It'll be Fnatic sets the pace with their strategy, but they make mistakes that hinder what they're trying to do, which gives H2K enough time to just run through their operating system and get the Baron that they want and, and have enough pressure on the map that they want to take that home. So I, I, I really feel um, that Fnatic, what I thought was going to be their biggest strength in the series, ended up kind of falling apart on them last week. And, and like I said, in multiple different fights, especially in game three. You can't throw two Barons. One Baron, I understand he had a bad smite Broxa, but two Barons? Come on. You can't do that. That's a team that's, that's it's more than just one mental error. And you cannot make those against a team like H2K. They're too good. And for the record, uh, Nuclear is a really good League of Legends player right now. So if your, your whole idea is like, oh, but we know we have the team fight, do you know? Do you know you have the team fight, or do you think that you have the team fight? Because if you're not 100% sure, I can guarantee you Nuclear is 100% sure in himself and in his ability to turn some of these things around. Uh, he's got a 6.0 KDA right now. That is the third highest among all 80 carries, 42 kills, um, just absolutely looking like a, a player on a mission to make a name for himself. And oh, by the way, Che is leading the league in assists because of course Che is. That's what Che does. He's really good at League of Legends. I love I love this game. Agree to disagree. If this game goes past 35 minutes, I think Fnatic's chances go way up to win. Agree to disagree. Unless Odawanme is on like a Fiora or something where he just split pushes. Uh, moving on, I, I really don't want to talk too much about the series. Rocket versus Splice. Um, just because I want to get to the next one because I'm really excited for it. Rocket versus Splice. Anything really like intrigue you outside of I'm just a Rocket fan? Like what what is interesting about this series uh, to you? We just saw Splice pull off a really good upset over the Unicorns of Love, and I'm really excited to see if they can maintain that momentum. So this is exciting, man. Like I liked this team. I expressed last week's episode that I was frustrated because there was so much clear talent on display and they weren't making the most out of it. And you and Yost made that tweet of like, oh yeah, I, I'm sure they're gonna bounce back in week four. You know, I was able to laugh like, ha ha, he sees like, you know, he still thinks unicorns are gonna win, but he is giving Splice some love. And then Splice said, nah, we feel like doing it in week three actually. 
and, and they looked really good. Um, I, I think that as a whole, uh, we saw a, uh, you know, Sancox looked awesome. Uh, he has really gone all in on roaming midlaners, and it has freed up this this aspect of the game that I think was lacking in his play. Uh, it really seems like he's found an identity. His Cassidyn was awesome. Uh, I, I loved seeing his Malzahar, which I was not expecting the mid lane Malzahar pick from him, but he continues to show that he does have these kind of unexpected champion picks from time to time. It was great to see that from him. I thought Wonder, oh man, when Wonder can get a lane advantage, he is absolutely deadly. His Kled was great. His Fiora dueled very well in the mid game in game two, and I, I think really took it to the unicorns of love. And that was the thing about Splice that I think really impressed me. They they don't necessarily force fights the way that, you know, someone like a Unicorns of Love would force fights. They're not sending three or four bodies at a skirmish more often than not. But they put so much pressure on the map that the unicorns had to fight on Splice's terms, essentially. Splice knew like this is the objective where we're pushing right now, and we know that rock that unicorns of love are gonna want to stop it. And because they know that Unicorns of Love are going to stop it, we're going to send the rest of these guys to come back and make sure that we have that second wave of flank and kind of flank the expected engage, get that counter engage going. And I think that was their biggest weapon in this series. It, it turned fights that Unicorns of Love thought were going to be in their favor and were able to turn it into fights in which Splice was able to get sizable advantages and really snowball some leads. So I, I think that it's, it's a very clever way of exploiting a team's strategy and unicorns of love because they are that we attack all the time team they splice had an easier time doing it than they have against other teams where they've had to sit back and wait and wait for them to make a mistake that they could see this time they're like look we know what the mistake is that unicorns of love are going to make if they make a mistake it's going to be that they're going to engage on us when they shouldn't so let's expect them to engage on us and have the vision down and make sure that we can counter engage so i i really liked it quite a bit I think it's great to see Kavi looking a little bit better as well. Uh, the key here is, are they going to be able to be consistent with it? Um, they need to prove that this is not, you know, this one-off where now we're going to see them go back to this kind of turtle-up defensive 35 to 40 minute before we're confident enough to, to push for a Baron and push for a real victory here. I want to see that same energy, that same map pressure that made them so good in this series, the double split push, the 1-3-1 one, one kind of composition. I want to see them continue to develop that. I want to see them continue to uh, to kind of display that. And against Rocket, they should be able to do just that because it's not like Pride Stalker is going to have some amazing early game that throws off whatever split pushing plan you have. See, here's the thing: I I completely disagree with everything you were saying. Like, I wow. completely disagree with your analysis of that series because to me, it felt like I I agree with that. Splice was laying in wait, waiting for Unicorns of Love to engage on them. That is the one point I'll concede to you. But I don't think Splice were being proactive. I don't think they were doing anything that was like tricking Unicorns of Love into engage with you know into engaging into them. I think they were just waiting for Unicorns of Love to engage, and they built compositions that were late later team fight. They wanted to use their spells and abilities after the Unicorns of Love had engaged. When you look at their champion picks, when you look at how they're playing around these fights, we talk about. Um, you know, we talk about how Splice is playing things like Cassidy, and they're playing Braum, they're playing Twitch, they're playing Gragas, they're playing Fiora. Like, they weren't engaging with Gragas, you know, flash stun ulting. They were waiting for Unicorns of Love to come in, then they were disrupting the fight with the Gragas Barrel. They were disrupting the fight 
with They were split tank. pushing. Split pushing is an active decision, an active choice that they were pushing with themselves so that the rest of them could counter-engage later. They were making the proactive play by going for these towers in the first place and hard pushing for them and getting the vision down. And they usually did so aggressively with at least two people at a time. It's not the three or four man skirmish kind of aggressive that we see a Unicorns of Love do, but it, they weren't sitting back on their laurels. They weren't, you know, power farming and just waiting for an opportunity. They were making opportunities for themselves that Unicorns of Love had to react to or else place were just going to get free towers. I don't think that's fair at all. I mean, that, that would imply that the only way to be proactive is to look for a team fight. There are many ways to be proactive. Team 131 compositions are never going to look for the kind of fight that you're describing. That's not what they're built to do. That doesn't make them less proactive. That, that, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that they're going to be able to play against Rocket like they were you know, able to play against Unicorns of Love. I think these are two very passive teams in the early game, in all honesty. So you say, oh, I don't think Pride Soccer is going to have an early game. Like, yeah, I don't think Trashy is going to have that much of an early game. We don't see these teams making plays in the early game. Their bread and butter is that 25 minutes on where they're team fighting, where they are setting up a split push, where they are doing these other things. But I think... In this is pretty evenly matched, in all honesty. I think that Splice is probably a little bit more talented across the board, and the fact that Senkux has started to shift towards these more roaming mid laners, that that is where his bread and butter is, that is what he should have been playing since the very first moment he stepped into the LCS. He's not an Orianna player. He's not a Syndra player. He is a Talia, Cassidin, you know, Aurelian Soul player, where he should be roaming around the map. He should be getting out of his lane. He should be stepping into other lanes and roaming around with Trashy. That is when he is at his best. So, at the end of the day, like, this series to me could go either way, just depending on how, you know, three or four team fights go, in all honesty. And if either team came out and had this massive, massive early game where they're, you know, taking towers left and right, they're getting first blood at three minutes, like, that would surprise me. This does feel like a 25-30 minute laning phase style, ARAM style game where, you know, three or four fights are going to determine the series. Friendly reminder that Splice won game three in 26 minutes, which was a very quick, early game, decisive victory. That This is not a team that played as slowly as you're insinuating. They won in 33 and 26 minutes. Those are both relatively quick times for victories. They are below average for match times in the EULCS. Right now, the average game is about 35 minutes from what I'm seeing. On Against a team that never stops fighting and when they're behind, when they lose, team fights compound upon their, their behindness. So. Yeah, but they still have to do enough to get those leads. You have to play with the leads enough around the map to force a game. I... I, I mean, we're gonna we are oh, I, staunchly yeah. disagreeing today. Yeah. Okay. I I yes. am. Uh, I yeah. We're just gonna have to move on. I am, I am surprised with where you you came down on Splice, but let's move forward. I mean, I've been hurt by them too many times. So I, I biggest thing for Splice, I need consistency. I need them to prove last week wasn't a fluke. And that, on that we agree. So far, since the, the last year, you know, since last summer, they haven't proven that they can consistently perform week to week. But yes, moving on, unicorns of love. Versus G2, to me, the very obvious match of the week. Oh, yeah. Payback. Unicorns of Love have not looked very good against G2 in the past, uh, only winning one game against them in uh, in Hamburg, in their home arena, in their home city. Uh, Chase, what is this series going to come down to? I mean, this series is going to come down to which one of these teams 
Uh, well, really, it's going to come down to whether G2 can shore up the weaknesses that we saw in the last two weeks. Because once is an outlier, twice is a trend, three times, and we'd have to start talking about this being a serious problem that is going to come back to haunt this G2 team because there just aren't that many weeks in an EU-LCS split. They only play 13 series. If they lost a third series, it's very possible that they that alone might take them out of contention for the one seed if either Fnatic or Misfits was able to take care of business moving forward. They do not want to be in that spot. Both of these teams want to be in control of their own destiny in terms of being able to take that number one seed, and they need to win this week in order to be 100% certain in that. Um, so I, I think there's a lot on the line, and certainly for Unicorns of Love, I think there are a lot of you know, this would be the monkey off their back, right? This would be, you know, the idea that, like, look, even though G2 has this macro-oriented playstyle, it doesn't mean that we can't beat them. We just have to be smarter about the way that we set up these fights, the way that we pick the compositions that are going to put the, us in that position to succeed, uh, and, and really using that those tools effectively. You know, for G2, the, the, the two things that I need to see, uh, number one, I need to see Trick feel comfortable with where pathing is right now. I think that the early emphasis on Rift Herald has thrown off his previous plan. I don't think he's as comfortable right now in terms of what the enemy team is doing, in terms of where he needs to be on the map, especially in the 10 to 15 minute mark. Uh, and he's, he's being caught out of position. And I, I think he's just not taking advantage of, you know, the enemy team the way that he usually does. I mean, to put this in perspective, we always brought up that 56.3% uh, jungle control that we saw last split. Mm -hmm. Like, that was the key with G2. Uh, this week, it, this season, it, it's 49.8. It is below 50% um, right now in, in terms of jungle control. That's a huge change. That is that is a systematic change that, that is going to come back and, and potentially bite this team in the butt if we're expecting them to be this macro-dominant team. Controlling the jungle was a big reason why they were able to do that. So, so Trick needs to step up, and and the other thing that they need to do is they need to, they need to find a way to balance this newfound love of the early game, which I am glad is there. I think that gives them a more well-rounded approach, but they cannot lose sight of why they were making some of these more passive decisions in the first place. There was a, there's a logic to. We need to pick our moments. We need to pick when we really want to invest in warding. We need to see what the enemy team is doing and take advantage of their back timing, take advantage of of some of their overextensions, and then make, get the deep vision. Then capitalize with the, when we take those towers and kind of get the fundamentals down. If you're rushing the fundamentals, teams can punish you. That's what Misfits did last week. That's what Fnatic did in week two. G2 had holes in their fundamentals, and teams punished them for it. Unicorns of Love are one of the most punishing teams in the league if you leave yourself open to macro errors because yes. they are going to run at you and take advantage of it before you even realize the mistake that you've made. And G2 has had such a hold of the fundamentals that the Unicorns of Love haven't been able to do that. They're usually stuck having to play this slowed down game, which makes the Unicorns of Love uncomfortable. Uh, you know, they, they kind of end up trying to force things to make it more at their speed and then things kind of fall apart. But G2 hasn't looked like a team that's capable of controlling the tempo in that way right now. And that is a huge concern if you are a G2 fan. You know, I, I think that this is one of those things where you have to wonder, like, are they rusty or is there a problem now on this patch that's really coming back to haunt them? And I, I think a lot of that's going to come down to Trick. I think if Trick returns to form, 
this team's going to look like the team that are three-time champs. If he doesn't, Unicorns of Love might take a win for the first time. And it certainly would feel overdue uh, for the Unicorns of Love fans. The Love Hurts crew would love nothing more <laughs> than to be able to pop off after a victory in this one. So a lot on the line here. This, uh, this definitely feels like a Unicorns of Love win. But this also feels like the clever swerve where G2 is like looking like a wounded animal and then they strike out and they just quickly 2-0 Unicorns of Love. And then we're all going like, oh, well, I guess G2 just has Unicorns of Love number and it's going to set up once again this like great series in the playoffs where it's like Unicorns of Love can't beat G2. Feels like it's almost scripted, like there's going to be this enormous payoff at some point. And I want it to happen in the playoffs for Unicorns of Love, but at the same time, like... This is probably the most wounded G2 has ever been playing against the Unicorns of Love. And and UOL really needs to stamp on this moment. And I do agree with your assessment that it really does revolve around Trick. I don't think Perks is playing bad. I don't think Expect is playing bad. I don't think the bot lane... I think the bot lane is playing better than they did in the spring. So it comes down to, well, Trick is the one who is really kind of off his game. And some of it feels like... The champion choices just don't suit him. Some of it feels like the jungle pathing just doesn't suit him. And Xerxy and Vizichachi have gotten better as a duo. They true they are the Bash brothers. Like I, I dubbed that on Dardock and Flame last split, but I totally just overlook Xerxy and, and Vizichachi. Those two guys are the Bash brothers. Samux yeah. is coming up and he's like the little the little chubby black kid that had the knuckle puck. <laughs> <laughs> in Mighty Ducks 2 that was, you know, on the streets or whatever. Like, he's that guy. And then, uh, you know, you got the rest of the team that rounds it out. And, and Exile is really feels like the weakness to me currently. But it's not it's not a weakness that I think can't, I don't think can be overcome or that I don't think can be adjusted. And then we'll be talking about how Illusog and his weird champion pool might be the weakness again. I just think Exile is feeling a little frustrated with the meta. And I think he needs to adjust to it. I think he needs to get, you know, pull what uh, Senkux is doing and, you know, I like the fact that he played Rise. I like the fact that he's trying to play more kind of roaming style mid laners. I think that really plays well to what Unicorns of Love and him want to accomplish. I really don't want to see him on Syndra or Orianna much. I'd much rather see Talia. I'd, I'd really love to see him learn how to play Aurelian Soul. I think that would fit him pretty perfectly as well. Um, yeah. I'm very, very interested in the line on this one from Unicorn when it comes out. I, oh. I, I'm like, I got this once circled really really heavily and i'll be interested to see uh where they do come down on it a any yeah, any last thoughts on the series yeah i, I want to play everyone's favorite game show uh guess which player i'm talking about with two junglers right now um you're probably figuring out where i'm going with this but i'm gonna give you two of them let's start with player one uh or we'll call player a to keep things clear okay uh 12 21 and 36 for a 2.3 kda 67.6% kill participation, uh, negative 79 gold differential at 10 minutes, and 291 damage per minute, 205.3 earned gold per minute. Okay. Player B, 22, 25, and 49 for a 2.8 KDA, 65.7% kill participation, negative 31 gold differential at 10 minutes, uh, 273 damage per minute, 218.6 earned gold per minute. So, at the very least, we could tell, like, those are two relatively close junglers, both of whom are struggling so far this split in, in pretty much all of these stats. So, who is player A and who is player B? Uh, player A is Lolex, player B is Trick. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I, <laughs> Lulex's stats are actually kind of incredible. He had 11 5 2 in these oh. three games. I thought that I was know, where you were going with it. Uh, uh, it so... It's not, but, but, which, so you said player B was trick. Yes. Player A is trick. Okay. Player B was Pride Stalker. Pride Stalker actually has a better KDA, uh, slightly worse kill participation, but better gold differential, uh, better. Uh, you know, better earn gold per minute right now than Trick. I I want to repeat that Pride Stalker is ahead in several significant categories, categories that we are used to seeing Trick excel in, than Trick. I consider this a concern. I think this is a concern to me. I I don't know how we got here, but Trick, if you want to return back to your form uh, at any time. I think we would all appreciate it. European fans miss you, buddy. Get your head in the game. Come on now. That's uh, that's fair. Moving on, the last two series, our Saturday series. Chase, which team is more likely to get the... Which team is going to get their first map win? Just period. I don't think in either of these series, but which team is more likely to win a map first? Mysterious Monkeys or Ninjas in Pajamas? I would say the Mysterious Monkeys because they're now on Kickus. And Kickus can single-handedly win a game with his split pushing in the right moment. Guy is a very good understanding of, of the map and how to take advantage of laning in matchups. Uh, he was absolutely dominant uh, in Challenger Series last split. I think, you know, it's very easy to hype up a player um, for being very good in Challenger. He was a whole nother level of, of dominance. I think like a 7.5 KDA uh, when you look at the regular season stats alone. Guy's a monster. He's going to continue to be a monster. Uh, and I think that's going to give Mysterious Monkeys an advantage that Ninjas in Pajamas don't have right now because Ninjas in Pajamas don't have anyone who understands how to really initiate the fights that they need after 15 minutes. It was just kind of sad to watch their series against Rocket. You know, you have Prophet, who's really good at split pushing. I I'm going to continue to be a defender of Prophet. I think he has one skill set that he is utilizing. And I think that if you look at, well, why isn't he playing more team fighters? Why isn't he doing more to help the team? Who is he there to help? Is it HeQ? I don't think HeQ is an AD carry that's going to reward you for investing in him. I don't think Shook is a jungler that's clearly proving himself as being someone that is worth getting ahead and trying to snowball advantages with. And I certainly don't think that Magne is doing enough in the mid to late game to justify that. I... The, the best thing I could say for Ninjas and Pajamas is they actually had a pretty good Rift Herald usage in game two. Everything else about them is just really sloppy, uh, really poor choices. And, and unfortunately, I don't see who on the team is going to step up and be better in that regard. Whereas Mysterious Monkeys have now given them a tool that should be better in that regard. We should see more from, uh, from them as far as their playmaking because now they have two guys who actually know what they're doing Say what you will about Amazing, at least he's a veteran. At least he understands how the pace of these games should go. And, you know, you could say, oh, but Shook is a veteran too. And I'm like, yeah, but, I mean, let, let's be honest, guys. How often did you notice Shook was on the map this season? How many times? He had one good Lee Sin game. I actually want to give him credit for that because I know someone's going to bring Maybe. this up. He had one good Lee Sin game Sounds like uh, Shook. against Rocket, And that's it. And in that Lee Sin game, I, I remember thinking to myself, like, you know, this is okay and it's not enough to beat up on pride stalker that's that's where we are with you're, him you're, his career i don't want to go back to rocket you're really down on pride stalker 
I think he's improved over the three weeks that we've played. Like, I yeah, think he's getting sure. better. It, it's slow, but I do think he's getting better. I think your hate is a little unfounded. Let me be clear it's here. A little. Pride Stalker in 2018 and on is a guy that I actually like. I think he's growing well. I think this Rocket team in general is growing well. You're going to see in the article that I wrote for Unicorns, uh, Unicorn.com this week, I said that I'm really excited for the future of this team, but growth is going to be slow and they're still very raw and it's going to take time. Faxi is going to take time. Pride Stalker in particular is going to take a lot of time. He still is making very, you know, beginner style mistakes for the LCS stage, but he's going to iron out the kinks. But my point is, this is a guy who is raw, who needs time, who's still figuring these things out. If you're not up to his level, when he is a rookie that is still trying to put his LCS career together, if you can't do that, you are failing. You are failing as what you're trying to accomplish in this league. And when you're a veteran like Shook, you cannot be worse than a guy who's on his fourth series in LCE or in LCS history. You can't do that. You can't do that and then tell me I need to take you seriously as a juggler. You have to be better than that. And right now, like, Pride Stalker is going to keep improving. Shook is who he is at this point in his career. That's the difference. So if I'm comparing you to him now, that's not a great sign for your future. That's not what the, these teams want to be in right now. Yeah, Sh Shook is not very good. It should tell you something that we're so disinterested in these two teams that we went to, decided to talk about Pride Stalker for like five minutes. That, that being said, I do agree with you that it's Mysterious Monkeys, and I, I think you nailed the, the point on the head exactly. On Mysterious Monkeys, there's two guys. There's two guys that could potentially help carry, and it's it's going to be Kickus, and it's going to be... Uh, Yuki, like, I do think that it's going to take a little bit for Kickus to get integrated into the team, but he has shown that he can, like, just right off the bat be like, all right, split put champion, let's go. And you have Renekton. I can't wait to see his Renekton. I can't wait to see his Jarvan. I can't wait for him to pull out something super weird and super janky as a counter, like a Yorick? top lane Udyr, like Yorick? Yorick, like something. I don't think he should play Yorick. I don't think Yorick is a good champion at all, and, and it's kind of a waste of time. But that's the opposite on NIP is... I think Profit needs to stop playing these split push champions. I think they need to try and learn how to play as a team. And you aren't going to learn how to actually play as a team if you keep split pushing. If you keep saying, let's send everybody to the far corners of the map and let's just try and do this. I think that's the same problem Vitality has had and it's compounded on itself of rather than let's just pick team fights. Let's learn how to do this as a team. Let's learn how to be teammates. Let's learn each other's tendencies. Let's actually try and grow our skills in this way, they just said, well, that's what our players are good at, so let's just, let's throw caution to the wind and double down on just, you know, 45-minute laning phase, and it doesn't work. The problem is your coach is Nico the Pico, and I don't think he's a very intelligent coach. I think he's a yeah. pushover, and I think the players are kind of way overwhelming him in terms of what they want to do. If they yeah. had a real coach, it's like this might have been a good spot for a Yamato cannon, in all honesty. Yeah, and, and let's also remember that I bet a lot of the reason that they're relying on split push compositions is because that way, the fact that Prophet's English is probably not all that great at this point isn't nearly as big of a hindrance as it would be otherwise. Having to put him on a team fight champion requires him to understand what the rest of his team is doing, whereas if he split pushes, he can do what he's good at and kind of do it on his own and just rely on his own individual mechanics and only really has to pay attention when the team desperately needs him to do something and listen to a couple keywords that way. Uh, I think that's a shortcut that they're taking. But I think you make a very great point, which is that it's not going to get better if you don't try to figure it out. Against a team like H2K, 
H2K is going to destroy you if you play the kind of split push comps that you're doing as poorly as you've done them. Because isolating profit the way it is, like Yankos will just take that fight every time. They'll go for the two on one there and then really try to you know get the isolation damage on something like a Kha'Zix. Um, they will punish the bot lane super hard. H2K has too many moving pieces that can each carry individually. I think they are going to have to play more team-oriented uh, if they're going to have a chance here. Um, and Mysterious Monkeys. My hope is that Kickus knows enough about Fnatic. He was on that Fnatic Academy team. They scrimmed against Fnatic quite a bit. He understands the Fnatic system. So you're telling me there's a chance. So you're telling me... I, I, I'm, no, I mean, no, no. Get out, of, get out of Wonderland, Alice. That's a bad, bad idea. It's a bad idea. Not even not one... follow this white rabbit. Nope. Nope. Not not their first series. Not their first series. Not after either Fnatic is going to have figured things out and had a really good series against H2K or they're going to have gotten crushed by H2K and are going to be pissed off. No. Not, yeah. not going to happen. There's more of a chance than NIP taking a game off of H2K, but it's still pretty low. Yeah, I don't, I don't trust either of this. I hope all of your chances of liking this podcast were higher the Mysterious Monkey's chances of taking a game off of Fnatic. Uh, like I said, this was just our analysis of the teams, just our thoughts on the games. Lions will be coming probably tomorrow or early, early in the morning on Thursday so our European fans can hear our ideas, so you guys can hear our ideas, and make sure you get your bets in on Unicorn.com before the games start uh, on Thursday morning. Uh, with that being said, you guys can go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or follow it on SoundCloud and YouTube. Just find all the little follow subscribe buttons underneath the video or wherever it is on SoundCloud. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rough Drafts Pod, and you can follow myself at C80s underscore LOL. Chase, where can the good folks at home find you? You can find me at Red Shirt King, uh, and you can talk to me about anything that I said today. I will read in the comments. I like to, to get in there and talk to you guys as much as I can. Uh, every once in a while, you guys make uh, interesting comments, I think is the best way to put it. But I love that, you know, it creates a conversation and allows me to kind of think about how I can fine tune my analysis to better demonstrate my points. So I, I do love interacting with you guys, even if I don't dis uh, agree with where you're coming from. Just like I love when we finally have a couple of disagreements on the pod. You know, you and I, we agree too often. We watch enough games together where we come sometimes come to the same conclusion. So I am glad that we disagree on, uh, on, on some of these teams. I think it'll be very interesting to see which one of us is proven right. If you pay attention to my luck from last week, it'll end up that everything I just said ends up backfiring on me because I finally believed in these teams and I'm not allowed to have teams that I like or root for or believe are going to be successful have that come to. So let's see. Europe, keep things interesting. Let's keep surprising us. This was fun. I want more weeks like this. Absolutely. I can totally agree with you that. And with that... We come to the close on our episode, but join us tomorrow where we'll talk about the very fun, the very entertaining North American LCS, where there are two teams at the top of the table that I don't think either of us really saw coming, uh, and a stalwart favorite is also up there as well. So come back tomorrow for that and our Just Alliance for the EU LCS Week 4. And until next time, goodbye, Internet. You can follow the Rough Drafts Podcast on all your favorite social media sites. Twitter, at Rough Drafts Pod, Facebook.com, backslash Rough Drafts Pod, 
soundcloud.com backslash esports rough drafts, youtube.com backslash rough drafts podcast, as well as on iTunes by searching for the rough drafts podcast. The rough drafts podcast is supported by our lovely Patreons at patreon.com backslash rough drafts pod. And by viewers like you. Thanks for listening, and goodbye, Internet.